Our scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This is God's word. In the spring of 1940, the Nazi army was plowing through France despite the help of more than 300,000 British troops. Finally, the Nazis had surrounded and had trapped most of the Allied forces in a town called Dunkirk, a town in northern France. And it appeared that the Allied army was about to face annihilation. They had really just one of two choices. They were either going to need to surrender or they would be annihilated. And at the darkest hour when everything looked hopeless, when it looked as if the entire British army would be taken out, a particular British officer sent the following message condensed into three powerful words. But if not. But if not. Three words, three powerful words which spoke courage and hope into the heart of Britain's darkest hour. Words which communicated that the British would stand defiantly against the Nazis and that God would somehow provide a way through the dark night, but if not. In what has been called the miracle of Dunkirk, the British managed an extraordinary escape uh, through a fleet of little boats where uh, over a period of about nine days... 360,000 troops evacuated northern France, most of the Allied forces. It was amazing. But if not, but if not declared their trust in God, even if the mission failed, success or failure, but if not, their trust in God. Do, Do you know where those three words came from? But if not. The Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Do you remember when Daniel and his three friends faced the king? If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not... But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. But if not, words which still speak to our hearts today, words of hope and courage in hopeless situations, words to live by and words to die by. But if not, 
I would like to ask uh, all of those who have uh, or are now serving as military personnel to stand. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the sovereign king over heaven and earth. And thank you that your son Jesus Christ has reminded us that to seek his kingdom first, his kingdom, to seek his kingdom first and to, and, and to possess indivisible allegiance to the kingdom of Christ is the only way that we can be the best citizens of any earthly kingdom. Thank you for blessing this country. And Father, thank you so much that you have protected us through your servants in our military. And I pray, we pray for wisdom. We pray that they would continue to put you first. Putting you first, seeking you most, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with you. Oh, Father, May all of us live and conduct ourselves in such a way that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. But if not, but if not, today we're going to look at uh, some verses in the Bible that tell us why we can say, but if not. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Esther, chapters 5 and 6. Esther's chapter 5 and 6. And we're looking at the life of, uh, you'll find that in your church Bible on page 356. Page 356. And we're looking at the life of this Old Testament heroine who, uh, Esther was a Jewish orphan who by the work of God became queen of a world power. And she had her own but if not moment. And her three words were, if I perish, if I perish, if, if I perish, I perish. We read about her in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. And what follows in chapters 5 and 6? Uh, tell us why she could say this. Well, well we're going to learn something about the amazing God that we worship that, that allows us to then say it 
as well. So just walk with me as we journey through chapters 5 and 6. And I want you to keep, I want you to keep in mind the question, now why is it, what is it about God that allows us to say, if I perish, or, or but if not, Esther's 5 and 6. Well, well, chapter 5, verse 1 begins with on the third day. On the third day of what? Well, on the third day of Esther's fast, remember? In chapter 4 ended with a three-day food and water fast, not just for Esther, but also for the entire people of God as Esther has been challenged to approach the king uninvited in order to... She's risking her life to make an appeal on behalf of God's people, to save God's people from this edict which has ordered their annihilation, which Xerxes unwittingly, unwittingly signed from the wicked Haman. And Esther's trying to put a stop to this, but she has not been invited into uh, uh, the, 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 thr- to the throne of his royal highness. And so if she comes uninvited and he doesn't receive her, then it's immediate execution. So she puts on her royal regal robes and she steps into that inner court. And once she steps into the inner court, it's an irrevocable decision. There's no take backs on this. She steps, locks eyes with the king, who sees her, looks up, and why, his face brightens. He's delighted to see her, in fact. And, and so, you know, really without hesitation, he, he raises his scepter and she comes and, and the Bible says that she, in, in deference, she, she touches the tip of his golden scepter in, in humble deference to his majesty. And, and he's just so happy to see his beautiful queen. He says, my goodness, Esther, what a, what a delight. What, what a, what, to what do I owe the pleasure? My goodness, you're looking a little gaunt, by the way, you know. Maybe it's just the light. No matter. Well, well what, what can I do for you? Up, uh, up to half of my kingdom. This is the way the Persian kings talked back then, I'm certain. Work with me on this. <laughs> what, what request can I grant of you? Up to half of my kingdom, I will grant you this request. Up to half my kingdom. My goodness. Now, now, now. <laughs> that's just a word picture there. That, that's just a figure of speech. He wasn't really offering her 50% of the GDP. Believe me, all right? <laughs> uh, it, it was more like this. Uh, Esther, um, um, I'm feeling in a good mood. Let's watch TV tonight, and I'll let you have the remote control. That's what it was more like, all right? And she responds. She says, oh, your majesty, if it, please, if it pleases the king, if his majesty is pleased with me, uh, I have a banquet prepared. Food is on the table ready to be served. The wine has been poured. If his majesty favors me, might his excellency come to this already prepared banquet and by his magnanimous generosity grace me with his presence. Oh, and would he please be so kind as to bring Haman too? Ah. King pauses. Brilliant! Best, but of course 
course, yes. Get, get Haman. Get Haman and bring him. Let's go to the banquet and let's feast. Of course, why not? Why not? And so they come, and I mean, they're feasting, and it's the finest food in the empire, and the wine is flowing, and it's a one, and it's just the king, it's just Esther, it's just Haman right there around the table. It's just wonderful. And, and near the end of the meal, the wine has been flowing. The, 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 the king once again says, now, now, my queen, really, now, don't be shy. What, what, is, what request can I grant? Really, now, now up, up, up to half of my kingdom, I, I will give you, really. But what is it? Now, come on, tell me what it is, and it will be granted. Esther replies, verse 7, His majesty, my petition and my, my request is, is simply this. If the king shows me favor, if the king is pleased with me, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and fulfill what it is I would like, then, then let the king and Haman come to another banquet, which I will prepare tomorrow. And then I will do as the king has asked. Ponders a little bit. Brilliant! <laughs> Why not? Haman, put this on your calendar. We will have a feast, another feast, with the queen tomorrow. Of course, of course, of course. Now hurry off, Haman. Go on, go on. That's all. Well, Haman leaves, and I mean, he is absolutely elated. You're going to see what Esther's doing here. She is hatching a plot which will allow her to save God's people without even needing to cash the check that the king has just signed over to her. He's just endorsed a check to give her, you know. And she's, she's hatching a plot where she's not even gonna, she's not even gonna need to cash that check. And Haman, oh my goodness, he was thrilled. He went away happy and he was uh, career high and he was high in spirits and his blood alcohol level was high. He was just, oh my goodness gracious. And he got to eat with the king and the queen. It was just absolutely wonderful. And, and of course, you know, he's, I mean, his chest has got to be sticking out like a rooster. He just cock-a-doodle-doing with how great and wonderful he is. And he's going to go home and tell his wife and all his friends about it and everything. And so, of course, he leaves the palace and believe the palace. You've got to go through the administrative area called the King's Gate, and so he's just strutting his way on home. And of course, everybody at the King's Gate, of course, has to bow before the Prime Minister because they've been so ordered. Everybody, everybody but Mordecai, who will not starve his dignity in order to feed Haman's ego. He doesn't even look up. Mordecai does not even look up. And of course, Haman is furious. He is enraged at this. The Bible says in verse 9 that he was filled with rage against Mordecai. And nevertheless, verse 10, Haman restrained. The only time Haman shows restraint. <laughs> and he goes home. He calls together all of his friends and starts bragging about all his wealth as if they didn't know that already. And he brings his wife into the room and starts bragging about all the sons that he's had as if she didn't know. <laughs> all the ways that the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the nobles and officials. Verse 12. And that's not all. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she's invited me along with the king 
tomorrow, just me. <sighs> and then his face shrivels up like a prune. And all this means nothing. It gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. <sighs> and his wife, his wife says, well, kill him. Just kill him. Stick a pole in the front yard, 75 feet high, and just stick him on top of it. Make a Mordecai kebab out of him. Just do that. And Haman all of a sudden got this maniacal smile, this, 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 this Smeagol-like grin, just kind of even grow on his face. <laughs> The Bible says this suggested delighted Haman. Brilliant. Brilliant. And he had the gallows built. Now, we're having a lot of fun here. At least I am. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, this is the low point in the book of Esther. It is. I mean, it just doesn't get any worse than this. I mean, think about it. Uh, Esther is not sure if she's going to pull off this plot that she's hatching. So, I mean, there's just a lot of, uh, too much un unknowns here that's going on. And, and Mordecai, I mean, he's about to get skewered, you know? And, and, then, and then God's people are still under this annihilation edict. And, and just, there's just too many things that can go wrong. I mean, well, really, this is the low point of the book. And, and in the midst of this low point, uh, suddenly the, the, an unexpected thing happens. Chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king could not sleep. Now, what do you do when you're the emperor of a world power and you can't get to sleep? Well, what, what, what do you have? Persian milk and cookies? What do you, what do you have? Comfort food? What, do you, what, what happens here? What do you do? Well, 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 most of us know what to do. We are tossing and turning. We can either toss and turn or we can read a book. Right? We can read and then kind of just fall back to sleep. Except if you're the emperor, you don't have to read a book. You can have a book read to you. And that's exactly what's going on here. He couldn't sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the Bible says, the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. So the king says, I can't sleep. Servant, come over here, and I would like, I would like, I'd like to read a book. I'd like for you to read me a book about uh, me. Yes, that's it. Yes, brilliant, brilliant. And, and so there he is. He's there, he's there in his bed. He's waiting to you know, get into deep realm, and he's having this, it had to sound something like the congressional record. I mean, it's not exactly narrative tension, and so, you know, he's kind of beginning to doze off, and the servant begins to read uh, from this section of the king's chronicles about something that happened several years ago, an assassination attempt that was foiled by Mordecai. And as the servant's getting ready to go on to the next part of the Chronicles, the king's just kind of dozing off. And, 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 be, and before the servant, you know, gets to go on a little bit further, the king just kind of says, oh, uh, well, yes, and, and, uh, and, and how, did we, how did we thank him? 
How did we thank him? How did we thank him? The servant says, well, we haven't. I don't know. How did we thank him? I, I, well, your highness, we haven't. I mean it. Now, what have we, what, what has been done to, re, to remember Mordecai? Kings were very diligent back then about rewarding those who were loyal to the crown. What, 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 what have we done? I want to know. Your Highness, we've done absolutely nothing. Nothing? Nothing? This man saved the king's life and we do nothing? Well, well, who will save the king's life next time if we don't express our gratitude? I want this fixed. I, I want this fixed right now. It's the middle of the night. I don't care. I want it done right now. Find me an advisor. Is there an advisor in the palace? Find, get an advisor in here right now. Well, Haman's in the palace. Oh, well, get him in here right now. Well, Haman had come into the... Why did Haman come into the palace? Well, Haman came into the palace to have <laughs> the king sign off on skewering Mordecai kebab, you know? And so he comes into the palace. He he, he, know, he doesn't even have to wait. <laughs> wow, I've had dinner with the king and queen. I'm going to have dinner with the king. Now I don't even have to wait to see his royal highness. And church family, here is where we get to the funniest verse in the Bible. Esther chapter 6, verse 6. Bring him in, the king ordered. And when Haman entered, the king asked him, neither of them know the other's agenda. And the king asked him, Haman, what do you suppose? What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? And Haman thought to himself, well, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? (laughs) And this phrase, the man the king delights to honor, he just kind of, Haman just kind of, it just kind of rolls around in his mouth as he savors it. And this is a succulent flavor in his mouth. He uses the phrase, the man the king delights to honor, four times in verses 7, 8, and 9. Oh, the man the king delights to honor. So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor. Well, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden, and one with the royal crest placed on its head. That's the horse's head. That's how they did it back then. And then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's um, most noble princes, and let them robe the man the king delights to honor, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, and proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. these thanks. Brilliant! Yes, of course, of course. Well, go at once, and and and. Go get the robe and go get the horse and go get the crown and then do, 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 do just as you said. I want you to do just as you said for Mordecai. Mordecai, the Jew. You know, that Mordecai is if there's any other Mordecai. Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Now, can you say, deer in the headlight? <laughs> go now. In fact, you lead him around and you say all of that and... Go, and don't leave out anything that you've recommended. Brilliant, brilliant, Haman. Go, go, go. And then 
And Mordecai, I mean, Mordecai is there in his little cubicle. He's just doing his job, minding his own business, doing what he always does from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. And all of a sudden, Air Force One lands. And Haman gets out, and he's got this robe. Haman, I mean, Haman hates Mordecai's guts. Put this robe on. Wear this crown. Get on the horse. <laughs> this is what is done to the man whom the king delights to honor. This is what is done to the man the king delights to honor. This is what is done to the man the king delights to honor. And all of this is happening. And, and you know, <laughs> the book of Esther does not tell us the conversation that Mordecai and Haman had as Haman was giving Mordecai his victory lap around the public square. And I'm telling you, that intentional silence speaks louder than if they had spoken. And afterward, (laughs) Mordecai goes back to work. He just goes back to his cubicle and Haman heads off to the house. I'm home. How was your day, dear? Oh. Wife is there. The friends are there, just like at the end of chapter 5. And after he tells him everything that had happened, his wife, Zeris, really just has one question. Sweetheart, is your life insurance premium paid up? Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Verse 13. And and no sooner than she'd finished that sentence, I mean, while they were still speaking, verse 14 says, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to banquet number two, the banquet that Esther has prepared. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, we have to stop right there. Think about it. In 14 verses, this guy, this guy, this guy falls from the top of Mount Everest to the bottom of the Dead Sea. I mean, he goes from the pinnacle to the pit, from the mountaintop to the mud heap. 14 short verses, this twist occurs, this turning point occurs. And, and, and just what was that turning point? You see what it was? Look in the text. What does it say? What's the, what's, what do you suppose the turning point was? Maybe a tire difference. Was it something Esther had done? If I perish, I perish. Was that it? Well, maybe, but I don't think so. Well, what, what about Mordecai? Was it when he challenged uh, uh, Esther to be a leader? Well, nah, what was it? Esther chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king could not sleep. That is the turning point of the entire book, the entire book. It's not something that Esther caused, and it's not something that Mordecai caused. Who does that leave out? God. God caused. 
caused this. God was the one. My goodness, though his name remains unspoken in the book of Esther, God's hidden hand has been working all this time, and he is never more present than what we see here in Esther chapter 6, verse 1. God's own finger keeps the king's eyes wide open. Don't you see why we heard earlier from Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The, the king's heart is just like a water hose. Wherever God wants to put that water hose, that's where the king's going to be. No king of earth is immune from the king of heaven. And we don't even know why the king couldn't sleep that night. That doesn't matter. God's sovereign purposes are in play, and that's enough. And there's a lot of not knowing in these verses. Xerxes doesn't know why he can't get back to sleep. Haman doesn't know that the man he once hung is the very man the king wants to honor. Mordecai doesn't know why he's suddenly BFF with Xerxes. But we know all of this, don't we? The congregation at worship we are afforded the best seats in the house. We are afforded the backstage pass to see God at work fulfilling his promises and purposes through his people. And for what message? Well, for us, the congregation. The message that the invisible God who is always there in Esther's life is the same God who's there in your life, in my life. And that church family, that church family is, is what we call, well, um, I, I want to teach you two words before I conclude here. And the first is a, the first is a, is a, is a, a Bible word, actually. It's the word providence. Providence, God's providence. Providence, pro videre, to look ahead, to foresee. Forethought, foresight, leading to prudent decisions and care and management, providence. And here is how the Bible defines providence. Providence. God is always at work in all that happens in all the world to fulfill all of his will. Providence. Now let me break that down. Starting with God is always at work. God is always at work. Providence says that God is never not at work. God doesn't clock out. God doesn't go to the lake. Furthermore, God is never on call. Like, okay, you know, just if you need anything, just let me know and I'll be there for you. No. He's always acting, always initiating, always working, and that means he's always at work in your life as well, awake or asleep. He never takes his eyes off of you ever. Uh, Harry Blamiers was a Bible teacher, and uh, here is a great quote about God's providence. He says this, when we pray before going to bed, do we get it? that we are calling upon a God who acts, not a God who can occasionally or reluctantly be stirred into action by the pressure of some distant or persistent human prayer, but a God whose nature and whose joy it is to be ceaselessly and tirelessly active. And then Harry Blumier says this. He ponders what it would be like uh, if an intelligent Buddhist would respond in terms of, uh, you know, first being introduced to Christianity. What, what would strike this intelligent Buddhist as something novel about the Christian God? And Blamir says this, not that, not that this is a God of love, although that's true, 
And not that this is a God of self-sacrifice, although that's true too. Blumir says, but that this is a God who does things. God's always at work. Jesus himself defined providence this way in John 5, 17. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. He's always at work. He's always at work in all that happens, in all that happens, both known and unknown, painful and pleasant, the minute and the majestic, the sad and the joyful, the good and the evil. God is at work in in big situations, big schools, big jobs, big churches, big banks, and big storms. And he is also at work in the seemingly insignificant events and conversations and phone calls and emails and tweets of our lives. God God is at work in New York City. And God is at work in Joplin, Missouri. He's always at work in all that happens. Uh, Karen Jobes is an Old Testament scholar, and her commentary on Esther is worth the price. Uh, It's very readable. This is what she says about this section of Scripture. Karen says, any deity worth its salt can do a miracle now and then. God is so great and powerful that he can work without miracles through the ordinary events of billions of people. Think of it. God delivered an entire race of people in Persia because the king had a sleepless night, because a man would not bow to his superior, because a woman found herself taken to the bedroom of a ruthless man for a night of pleasure. How inscrutable are the ways of God who is always at work in all that happens, in all the world, in all the world. See, see the setting of this book, this is not taking place in Jerusalem. It's taking place in a pagan empire. And do you remember where this book is located in the Old Testament? There's Ezra, there's Nehemiah, there's Esther. Three books that talk about a life after the exile. Uh, Ezra is a pastor. Uh, Nehemiah is an urban planner. Esther is in the palace, and God uses all three. And this book speaks to those readers who were not in Jerusalem or even in Israel proper, but who lived in Persia and had lived there for nearly all their lives, and maybe they were wondering, did I make a mistake? Should should we have gone back to the covenant land? Does this make me a B-team believer? And the answer is no. Despite their distance from Jerusalem, God's promise to his people still stood because he's always at work in all that happens in all the world to fulfill all his will. All of it. And that's what makes this so comically tragic about Haman, because everything he does from here on out backfires. Everything. I mean, he tries to go forward, he goes in reverse. If he slams the brake on, he accelerates. Even his own pagan wife and his best friends have smart enough sense to know you don't mess with Yahweh. You don't, they're not even believers, and they don't, don't mess with Israel's God. And you see that phrase in chapter 6, verse 14, while they were talking, and then it says, Haman gets hurried off to the banquet. Hurried off. Now that's an important word, hurried off, because you see, people in power back then never hurried, because they didn't need to. They were in power. Others did the hurrying for them. But here Haman hurries. Why? Because he's no longer in control. His downfall has started, and he hasn't even hit the bottom. He's falling, and he's beyond help. He has received an unexpected reversal of circumstances. 
as will Esther and Mordecai and God's people. This, this sudden and unexpected reversal. And that leads me to the second word that I said I wanted you to learn this morning. Huh? First word is providence, and here's the second word. It's, well, it's the word, it's the word, here it is, peripety. Peripety. Let, let's say that on three. One, two, three. Peripety. Again, one, two, three. Peripety. One more time. One, two, three. Peripety. 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 A sudden and unexpected reversal of circumstances. Peripety. Peripety. Peripety happened. That's what happens. You say, so what? Huh? No, 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 no. Peripety happens all of the time in our lives. It does. For instance, in 2003, Peripety is the Steve Bartman incident. Yes, Peripety. In 2005, it's the last four minutes of the Illinois-Arizona game. That's Peripety. In wrestling, Peripety is a, is a last-second pin when you're down on points. Peripety. Peripety. And I'll tell you this, church family, on May the 2nd, Peripety was one less terrorist on the face of the earth. Peripety. And Peripety is an Esther. It's, it's Esther thinking she might perish only to touch the tip of the king's scepter. And Peripety is Haman thinking he's going to hang Mordecai only to end up honoring him. Peripety is Xerxes thinking that he'll nod off after being read the story of his own banal life only to be jolted wide awake worrying about how he's going to reward someone so loyal to the crown. Peripety. Peripety. Peripety is the produce of God's providence. The God who is always at work in all that happens in all the world to fulfill all of his will. And that's why the allies could say, but if not. And that's why Esther could say, if I perish. And that's why we can say it. That no matter what happens in our lives, sunshine or storms, golden anniversary or bitter divorce, promotion or bankruptcy, live birth or stillbirth, God is still working. He is. And I know, I know this because every week someone sits beside someone in this room who has lived or is living in one of those two situations. You see, in truth, our lives parallel Esther's life. We are in the exile of history where God is unseen. And like God's people, we, we too are under a curse. Galatians 3.13 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, and that sentence of death hangs over us, and it is no laughing matter. But Romans says that while we were still sinners, God acted. Christ died for us. Jesus Christ, the one man whom God was delighted to honor, was sent from heaven for us. Only when he came, he did not wear royal robes. He was dressed as a servant. And rather than riding the king's horse, Jesus was crushed beneath the weight of the cross. 
And though Jesus was the man whom his father delighted to honor on the cross, he was mocked and ridiculed. If you're the son of man, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. I tell you, that day he died, there was no honor in that public square, only public ridicule. And his darkest moment was when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his father was silent. Why? Well, for us, that's why. For us. That's why. And unexpectedly, on that first Easter Sunday, do you know what happened? Peripety. That's what happened. Where only death was expected, Jesus rose from the grave. And why? Because God's always at work. That's why. He's always at work in all that happens in all the world to fulfill all of his will. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Karen Jobes said it well. God is omnipotently present where God is conspicuously absent. He is provident. Provident. The God who always is at work in all that happens in all the world to fulfill all of his will. And that's, that's what's brilliant. And that doctrine, that truth, gives me hope, offers me peace, and clarifies my priorities even in the worst of life's storms. This past week in Joplin, Missouri, at the 288-bed Freeman Hospital West, doctors and nurses treated between 500 and 1,000 victims over a 12-hour stretch. They couldn't even keep track of the exact number. In the middle of that chaos, one badly hurt little boy came in all by himself. And about 30 minutes later, his father was found sitting on the boy's bed. And when asked if he needed anything, the father looked at his son and said to the nurse, I've got everything I need right here. Shall we pray?